going to be reading in just a moment is clearly connected, is clearly linked to the passage that we considered last week of the rich young ruler. I can just imagine that the disciples of Jesus Christ were so excited to see with their own eyes this conversation of this rich young ruler, more than likely a ruler of the synagogue, who is having this conversation with Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that they were so excited to see this young man who had all of this wealth, he had all of this, all of these possessions, he had power, he had prestige. And I'm sure they thought that, uh, yes, finally, we're going to add another follower of Jesus, but, but this time, he is going to bring to the table a lot of pull. He's going to bring a lot of power. But as they listen to this intriguing conversation between the rich young ruler and the Lord Jesus Christ, their excitement quickly turns into disappointment as they watch the rich young ruler depart from Jesus sorrowfully. So it is in that context that we have Jesus speaking to his disciples in verse 23. Let's look at that. It says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, to enter into salvation. Verse 24, And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in, in, in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left his house, his brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, the peril of prosperity. The peril of prosperity. There are three things I want you to notice with me as we look at this passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to see the problem with riches. The problem with riches. Now, as the young rich ruler walks away and as his sandals are kicking up the dry, dusty ground of those Palestinian roads... Jesus looks at his disciples and he makes an announcement in verse 23. He says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. 
he says that people who possess riches in abundance, men who are wealthy, who have the riches of this world, will have great difficulty entering into the kingdom of God. And, and notice that the problem is not with a, person, with a person having money. That's not the issue. The, the problem is, is when money has the person. That's the issue. This was the case with the rich young ruler. The, the rich young ruler was wealthy, but he did, listen, he did not possess his riches. His riches possessed him. And this is why Jesus said, hey, it's hard for those who, who, who have riches to enter into salvation. So this announcement that Jesus makes in verse 23 leads us to our next thought. It produces a sense of amazement for the disciples in verse 24. And the disciples, after hearing this, were what? They were astonished at Jesus' words. The, the word astonished has the idea of amazement. It's to be overwhelmed. Now, why were these men, these disciples, astonished at the words of Jesus here? Well, remember these men grew up in a culture. They grew up in a society that saw financial prosperity as the blessing of God upon an individual's life. And, and they believed that that the more financial prosperous one was, then obviously the Lord must have really favored them. And, and, and the more spiritual they were, the more religious they were, then the, the Lord would just open up the heavens and bless them abundantly with wealth. And so most Jews believed, and by the way, they still believe this to, to a, a great degree, that health and wealth and prosperity were the blessings of the Lord on a religious person's, a devout religious person's life. And you also have to consider, too, that you consider the disciples and their understanding of their patriarchs before them, the patriarchs of Israel, that these men had the examples of Abraham, rich Abraham. They had the examples of rich David. They had the examples of rich Job and Solomon. And so all of their religious heroes, the patriarchs of the Jews, had been very wealthy men. And so for that reason, it's no wonder that they were very much amazed and astonished that Jesus would say such a difficult thing that it's very hard for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. I believe some of you even this morning may be amazed by Jesus' words here if you're not previously Familiar, familiar with them. And the reason being is because many in our day still hold to that mindset to some degree. I mean, consider the, the claims of the prosperity gospel that's, that's pr pretty much the prominent theology in TV today, the health and wealth movement, the name it and claim it movement. Those preachers tell us that when we are right with God, if we have a lot of faith, then we're going to have plenty of money. We're going to have great health. And if you do not have great wealth or health, it is because of a problem you're having spiritually. You don't have enough faith. 
And so we must guard ourselves from such thinking because it can become natural to us to think along these lines as these disciples were thinking. Some people, even in this room this morning, you may think from time to time, when you have plenty, you, you, you might think, well, the Lord sure has blessed me beyond measure. But when you go through a difficult time, you may also think, well, my soul, what did I do to have the Lord chastise me like he's doing? That, that's just our natural way of thinking. And so when you think about what Jesus said in that context, it's really easy to see why they were so astonished. Now, now to help with the disciples' astonishment, Jesus gives an analogy. He, he wants to clarify what he's saying. Verse 24 says, And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now notice how he says here the very same thing. He wants to clarify what he's saying to his astonished disciples. And so what does he do? He says the same thing again. And he does it in a very tender way. He does it in a very... Uh, uh, Really, in terms of an endearment, he says he calls them children. In other words, hey, you belong to me. You belong to me. But there's more than just that. It's more than just a term of endearment. But we'll look at that just a little bit later. But he tells them that, that people who trust in their riches, who, who trust in their wealth, will find that salvation is impossible. And he says it would be like trying to stuff a camel through the eye of a sewing needle. That's crazy, isn't it? He, he's using hyperbolic language on purpose. He's using exaggerated language to emphasize a special truth, a powerful truth. So Jesus is referring to a literal camel somehow passing through a literal sewing needle. Now, I have heard down through the years, and I'm sure you have too if you've grown up in church, that Jesus was speaking about a small opening in the city gates surrounding Jerusalem. And after the gates of the city had been closed for the night, this tiny door was the only one that would lead in and out of the city of Jerusalem. And for a camel to go through this gate, which was only like four feet tall by three feet wide, that camel would have to bow down. It would have to wiggle its way through that particular gate. However, there is not any solid historical evidence whatsoever to support the existence of such a gate. Now, it's possible that some commentators down throughout history have attempted to soften the harshness of Jesus' words here by, by offering alternative explanations. But nevertheless, regardless of whether there was a, a gate such as that, the primary message of Jesus' statement here remains absolutely clear that it is extremely difficult for the wealthy to enter into God's kingdom. It's very difficult. The lesson is the pursuit of wealth, the, the pursuit of material possessions 
can hinder one coming to Christ like a child, humbly. Listen, this was the rich young ruler's problem, right? Why did he not come to God by faith? Because wealth was his God. His wealth was the focus of his faith. His wealth was his reason for living, and he refused to let that go. And Jesus knew that. And so instead of placing his trust and devotion in God, he placed them in those material possessions. And listen, we must be careful. Even in our contemporary society and culture, we must be careful of this because riches are oftentimes, even today, equated, equated with success. They are equated with fulfillment and security. Many view wealth as a symbol of God's favor or God's blessing. However, from a spiritual perspective, riches can indeed be a handicap. The pursuit of wealth can easily become an all-consuming deal in one's life, leading individuals to trust in their financial resources rather than God himself. The danger lies in the transformation of money being turned into an object of worship. That's the danger. When wealth becomes the primary focus of one's thoughts. I mean, the first thing a person does in the morning is he checks his stock, the price of his stock. He checks it throughout the day. Before he lays his bed at night, he checks how much money he either made or lost. When one's primary focus is upon those things, it can take the place of God in their life. When a person's every aspect of their existence, existence revolves around their wealth, on how to acquire it, how to protect it, and how to increase it, In this way, money becomes the ultimate pursuit in their life and not God, not God. And so what individuals fail to recognize is that the relentless pursuit of wealth ultimately leads to spiritual impoverishment. You see that rich young ruler who just left and you can still see that dusty trail as he's leaving Jesus. He left with material wealth, but he left spiritually poor, spiritually poor. True abundance, Jesus teaches, is not found in earthly treasures, but in this, but in the richness of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so we see here the problems of riches as we're thinking about the peril of prosperity. And notice, secondly, The possibility of redemption. The possibility of redemption. Verse 26. Now, after Jesus says what he says in verse 24 and 25, it says the disciples were now greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? So we see here the the men's, these disciples' anxiety as they were astonished and verse 24 by Jesus' words in verse 23, but now we find that they are greatly astonished. They are absolutely, absolutely overwhelmed. If they would have, it would be a jaw, 
jaw-dropping moment for them. They could not believe what they're hearing with their ears. Now, again, why is that? Well, it's because they believed in an ancient rendition of the prosperity gospel, prosperity theology that was taught by the rabbis down through the centuries. And so to the Jewish mind, it was inconceivable that riches could then be a barrier from those entering into the kingdom of God. So we need to hear what Jesus was really saying to his disciples. And listen, we need to hear it well. We need to hear it well that wealth is a handicap. We, we, we think the, the rich to be those who are overly privileged. But Jesus said they were really underprivileged. Remember at the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus, he, he warned. He said, hey, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus said, hey, you cannot serve and love both God and money. It's impossible. And then we think about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. How that was a dramatic warning about this money. How, how the rich man, he, he loved the luxurious things. He loved the things that money could buy. He cared little about his soul, but Lazarus cared about his soul. And in the end, Lazarus inherited an inter eternal kingdom where the rich man then inherited hell itself. So with that in mind, there should be a proper Christian fear of being rich. There ought to be a Christian fear of being abundantly wealthy. Now, what are some of the disadvantages of wealth? Kent Hughes identifies some of the disadvantages as primarily what it can do to your soul. How easy it is for an earnest man or woman to become attached to material riches that he forgets or she forgets what is far more important. And you see, wealth just naturally, naturally works at perverting one's values. Someone has well said, we soon know, that is those who are wealthy, we soon know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. We know the price of everything, but we don't know the value of anything. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Hey, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. You, Timothy, as a pastor, you tell those who are in your church who are wealthy not to be prideful. Do not be arrogant. You know why Paul said such a thing? It's because the wealthy can be arrogant, right? They can be. And so pride and arrogance, indifference, self-satisfaction, worldliness, and other ungodly mindsets feed upon wealth. Most tragic wealth can build a barrier to the one thing necessary to enter the kingdom, and that is helpless, childlike trust or faith in Jesus Christ. That is what one needs to enter the kingdom. 
which I believe is why Jesus referred to them as children here. He's reminding them, hey, uh, the, the reason you guys are following me is not because of your wealth. It's not because of your prosperity. The reason you're following me is because you had childlike faith, totally dependent upon me. You come to me like that. Now, when we speak about the dangers of, of wealth, it's very easy for us to think that, you know, this only applies to the extra rich, to the Donald Trumps of the world or whoever, the Elon Musks of the world. It doesn't really apply to me, but when we understand this fact that nearly all Americans, all Americans, even the most poor of Americans are rich in other parts of the world. We have everything we need and much more. And so this passage has something to say to us. What we do with our wealth will determine the spiritual health of ourselves and our families. With prosperity comes great danger. Remember that. With prosperity comes great danger. I have seen those in my ministry as a pastor, those who were dedicated believers. They were living for Jesus. But because of wealth, they became hardened. They became self-focused, materialist. Hey, listen to me this morning. Don't, don't, don't pray for your children to be rich. That's the most foolish prayer that you could ever pray for your children. Lord, grant them much possession. Don't, don't pray that for your grandchildren. Can you, can you not see how prosperity has destroyed our country? Can, can you not see that we were much more moral when we were, were poor and needy? That because of the prosperity that we have gained has led us farther away from God to now the reason that many believe that we were so prosperous is not because of God but because of the government. You see how it leads us away? Don't ever pray that for your children. Pray that God, whatever you give them, allow them to work hard. I, I, allow them the gift of endurance, perseverance. There, there is a disease today that's an epidemic among young people today, and that disease is called laziness. Teach your children how to work, work hard. There's nothing wrong at all with teaching them how to make money. There's biblical principles on how we should invest. But do not teach them that their value is only laid up in the resources that they accumulate. Again, Kent Hughes is very helpful here as thinking, what must we do? What must we do? Well, first of all, we must rid ourselves of dependence on our wealth. We've got to rid ourselves of dependence on our wealth. We must free ourselves from relying too heavily, too, too heavily on our material possessions and financial resources as a means of security and fulfillment. Now, how do we rid ourselves of this dependence of the riches of this world? Well, we must make this a matter of prayer. And this is not just a one-time prayer. 
This is not even a once in a while prayer. This is a frequent, regular prayer that God, that you would help me not to become so wrapped up in my wealth that I begin to depend upon those resources rather than Christ himself. Flee from that. Second of all, we must invest our wealth. We must invest our wealth. This is, as our income rises, we must give to God's work in such a way that it affects our lifestyle so that there are some things that we do not buy. There are some places that we do not go because we have given so much to God as he has graciously directed us. You see, the problem is the more we make, and I understand it takes more to make it today, but the more we make, it is very easy for us to use that excess on stuff, on our pleasures, our trinkets, whatever it is, vacations, whatever it is, while at the same time our giving to God through His church remains at the same level or in many cases dwindles because with the excess that you have been granted by God, you as a steward were more concerned about your wants, your desires, and you've used your wealth not in a way that has been uh, used then by God in God's kingdom, but you used your wealth to satisfy your desires. Guard yourself from that. Nothing wrong at all with vacations. There's nothing wrong at all with having nice things. But you need to be careful that you don't allow those things to dictate your budget over and above to you neglecting the most important thing, and that is giving to God through the local church. Notice in verse 27, Jesus answers their anxiety in verse 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible. Remember, they said, hey, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now, that sounds very familiar, does it not? As we think about the virgin birth, we think about how uh, the... the uh, uh, Angel Gabriel said that with God all things are possible. Well, Jesus said that salvation was impossible. He said with men it is impossible. With men, both poor and rich, does it matter? Jew or Greek, with men it is impossible for the rich and the poor to reach salvation on their own. Sinners by their own power... Sinners by their own will and efforts cannot save themselves. This is why uh, God said through Jeremiah, can, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? Cannot do it. Only a sovereign act of God can change the heart. And so when sinners by the work of the Holy Spirit reach a point where they desire to repent and desire to be saved, having acknowledged their guilt before God, they can only cry out to God and ask Him graciously to forgive their sins and save them from the judgment 
through Jesus Christ. And so for both the rich or the poor, for both the conservative and the liberal, there is but one hope of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. And that if a person is going to be saved, they must drop their position, they must drop their power, they must drop their passion, and they must turn to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The possibility of redemption. Notice thirdly, the promise of rewards. Verse 28, we can see that this is a very consuming worry for these men. Peter being the spokesman, oftentimes he begins to say to Jesus, see, we have left all and followed you. And Peter hears the words of Jesus in verse 27. He speaks up, he reminds Jesus that they had walked away from everything to follow the Lord Jesus. And they were, he was telling the truth. These men had turned loose of all their earthly resources, all of their earthly responsibilities to follow the Lord Jesus. I mean, think about this. They had given up their money. They had given up their homes. They had given up their families. They had given up their businesses. They were fishermen and tax collectors, all those things all because Jesus beckoned them to come. And they willfully and wonderfully followed Jesus in the way. But in the words of Peter, he's saying, in essence, Lord, you are saying that if a man gives up his money and follows you, he can have everlasting life. We have given up everything to follow you. What is our reward? He's asking, in essence, hey, what's in it? For us. Well, notice Jesus' words. He gives a calming word. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you that there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels. Verse 30 says, Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like Jesus' arithmetic here. I, I like Jesus' math here. He does not say 100% more. He says a hundredfold more. Jesus here is using a metaphor speaking of in immeasurable blessing that those who make sacrifices for the sake of following Jesus, those who make sacrifices by uh, spreading the gospel of Christ will receive, will receive blessings beyond measure. I, I like the way G. Campbell Morgan said about that verse. He said, in essence, one house gone, but a hundred doors are open. One brother in the flesh lost but a thousand brothers in the spirit gained, whose love is deeper and whose kinship is much more profound. You see, verses 29 and 30 have been the testimony of many, many of missionaries who have joyfully given up their home. They have given up their families. They have left, and especially in days gone by when uh, back before airplanes and fast-moving ships, 
When missionaries would leave their family, it was goodbye forever. However, that missionary would not lose. In essence, they would gain. Instead of losing a home, they would gain the homes of others. The, the, they would be the recipients of those that they have led to Christ, and they open up their homes to them. They would be able to have other brothers and sisters in Christ as they are ministering to those and they are being ministered to the blessings. It's a calming word in verses 29 through 30. Notice quickly in verse 31, Jesus gives a very clear warning. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So those who are first in this world's accounting will finish last in the race to heaven. I mean, we can just see today the celebrities and all of the wealthy individuals, and there is a tendency for us to think that they are somebody. But in God's eyes, it is not riches that makes a person somebody, right? In God's eyes, what makes a person special is their faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are billionaires and millionaires who do not even make a blip on God's radar. Oh, but there are poor, faithful saints of God who have God's attention all of the time. One day when we get home, all of those who reach for first place in this side of heaven will not even cross the finish line there. At the same time, those who faithfully live for the Lord here and, and came in last seemingly in society will be openly rewarded there. Now, I ask you this morning, what about you? Have you believed upon Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Every person here does have faith. It's just whether where you have placed your faith. Have you placed it in Jesus Christ? And then let me ask you this. What is your attitude about money? Do you love it? And remember what the Bible says, that money is not the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Listen, are you doing everything you can to increase what you have? Now, again, as I said earlier, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with investing. There is wisdom in that. But we must see that money as if God blesses us with abundance as a tool to be used in the service of the Lord. And let me ask you this, what have you given up to follow Jesus? What have you given up to follow Jesus? Has your faith in Christ cost you anything? A good thing for you to do, a very healthy thing for you to do this evening is to think about those two questions. What have you given up to follow Jesus? And has your faith in Christ cost you anything? That's a good thing for you to consider alone. What is it that I have given up to follow the Lord Jesus? Do you have any reason to expect that God would have any reason to reward you for your service? Let's pray together.